0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash
1: TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week.
2: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode seven hundred and two of the Two Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Um, it's uh, it's me, Joe, uh, Joe from the Internet guy.
0: Hi, um, I'm also here. Uh, this this is Matt. I'm sorry, um, map bomb. Sorry, Matt bomb. It seems the Rider strike is already hitting our show pretty hard here, and uh, I didn't know our Moloids writer room was part of the writer's guild. Hey, Macho, has there been some unionizing around here when I wasn't paying attention?
1: There has been no unionizing. All unionizing attempts have been met with force as requested.
0: Thank you, Macho. I noticed his voice changed again. That freaks me out every time. All right, I'm going to get to the bottom of this.
2: strange considering we aren't, uh, you know, on TV or in the movies. Right? And these little (laughs) bastards just unionized right behind our backs somehow.
0: But in all seriousness, Uh... folks, support your Hollywood writers. They're getting screwed right now. Streaming has been really, really good for business, but not great for writers. So think about it before you complain about them not working. Okay? In this episode, we are back to reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays. And after that, we'll tell you
2: listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we'll give you a taste of our Patreon extra, where Just in time for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the official THN comic historian Jason Sachs hosts Who the Hell is This Guy? The Adam Warlock Edition. So paint yourself gold and... Bedazzle a green rhinestone to your forehead And get ready for a nerdy ride Because It's review time in the ziggurat
1: New comic book Wednesday April 25th
2: Every other episode we
0: dig into a pile of 12 new comics From the previous two new comic book Wednesdays Screw you DC And then torture the creators with our confusing Buy it, skim it, or leave it ratings Which often change on the fly This time, our pile has a Hulk finale, another Xenomorph relaunch, the finale of *Sins of Sinister*, and the Peacemaker giving it all he's got in not one, but two comics, and he starts trying real hard. In your first review, Joe,
2: that's your review. He's going to try real hard later in mine. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Just to just to make it abundantly clear to anyone listening, I will read comics on any day that they want to send them to me, not just on Wednesdays, but. No, but I'm just saying there's one. I digress, I digress. We only celebrate New Comic Book Day once a week in Correct. the Cigarette. As Matt hinted, we begin with Unstoppable Doom Patrol number two from DC Comics. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Dennis Culver with art by Chris Burnham, colors by Brian Raber, letters by Pat Brusso, and a cover by Burnham and Rewer. You may notice that uh, we are now including much more data in our uh, solicits, and since mine... Went first, I'm taking credit for it. Here's your solicit. Explore the world's strangest superhero's new headquarters, The Shelter, as they welcome their brand new member, The Worm. Catch up with Niles Calder, Mento, Flex Mentallo. Those are two names that are very difficult to say back to back. Yeah, too close together. <laughs> yeah, like okay. you could have you said Flex Mentallo, Niles Calder, Mento. It would have been fine. There you go and more as we learn terrible secrets that could bring the new team to their knees before they even have a chance to get started. There's a traitor in their midst, and it's not who you think. We missed the chance to review number one a few weeks back, so I knew I had to talk about this issue. Dennis Culvert takes the Doom Patrol home, giving us a peek at the team's headquarters, including one of my favorite gimmicks, the secret-based cutaway view. We also learn that DC is basically embracing every iteration of the team vertigo or otherwise. And Culver gets a chance to poke fun at decades old comparisons to the X-Men complete with a jab at Jonathan Hickman's ever present text pages. Yeah, I laughed out, that was I laughed out loud <laughs> when the text page
0: came. I know, uh, just like
2: crumples up the memo. And was like, I am not interested. <laughs> like, right. <throws> it away. <laughs> uh, this issue introduces a heartbreaking new character whose presence will certainly prove difficult in the issues ahead. The art by Burnham and Reber is bananas. The character designs are fantastically bizarre. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number two continues to build on an excellent new start for the world's weirdest superhero team. Thanks to a creative team with an obvious love of the concept and the characters. I'm giving this a buy it. And since I didn't actually mention him in my review, Peacemaker is in this as well, which is what Matt was talking about (laughs) earlier.
0: It is true. He's here. I love that DC, like you said, they're just embracing every member and every aspect of the Doom Patrol, vertigo or not. We don't care. And you know why it's fine? Because it's the Doom Patrol and it's weird as hell. Go. Yeah, who cares? That's all you gotta do. And, like, Dennis Culver is the guy to come in and be like, I know how to fix this. We'll just put them all in the book. And it works. You don't take it too seriously. You don't make it too funny either. Like, it's, it's funny. It's
2: definitely a little more... I mean, it's got light-hearted moments. Yeah. It's not a it, comedy. It's a little anybody, more in the but...
0: spirit of the of the show, I will say, of the Doom Patrol show... Um, I guess, yeah. ...than other iterations. I mean, so much so it's like, they're even in the school bus and stuff. So, like, they're definitely... Well, sure. They're giving some nods here, and I'm fine with that. The show is great. And there's no reason we need to, like... Legion of superheroes, the Doom Patrol. You know what I mean? By going, oh, we can't do that because of this. And we gotta completely change it because this happened. Screw it. Just yeah, put it right. all in here. This is a romp. It's super fun. It looks great. I love Chris Burnham. Does not draw enough comics. Buy it. Just
1: a robot
0: doing the robot. I got fired up. Man. Doom patrol. Yeah, you did. Fired wow. me up. But we can we're gonna chill out. We're gonna talk about a nice slow paced. Action adventure more... that jumps through
2: multiversal time and Green Arrow, number one! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dang it, I was just starting to calm down. Too bad.
0: This is written by Joshua Williamson with art and cover by Sean Isaacs. It's got colors from Romulo Fiardo Jr. and letters by Troy Pateri. Here is your solicit. The Emerald Archer is lost, and it will take Oliver Queen's whole family to find him, but dangerous forces are determined to keep them apart at any cost! Spinning out of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC architect Joshua Williamson, who worked on Dark Crisis and Infinite Earths and Superman and just about everything else, and artist Sean Isaacs, who worked on Thunderbolts, is an action-packed adventure across the DCU that sets the stage for major stories in 2023. Pretty vague, but okay. Joshua Williamson continues his tour of the DCU, saving all the B-level character books and doesn't waste any time getting into the story here. The Green Arrow family, I think they're going by the name Team Arrow now, each get a brief setup that brings even new readers up to speed, and speed is the key here. The story moves fast. Arsenal gets a touching reunion, and from there, the story is flung into some kind of futuristic otherworld featuring an armored Ollie with a laser bow, and let me tell you, had anyone else but Isaac's designed reality displaced Ollie, I'd probably be screaming about how stupid it looks in my review, but damn, this book looks good. From the motorcycle chase in the opening to the explosive last page, Isaacs is just showing off, and his clean, detailed style looks completely kick-ass with the incredible colors of Romulo Fiardo Jr. My only complaint is the story moves so fast I was done reading in like five minutes, but I love where the creative team is taking Team Arrow so far. This is a great return for Green Arrow and the whole family.
2: I'm giving it a buy. So there are some things that you didn't really touch on that I think we should touch on. Go ahead. Um, first, I will. I want to address what you said about it only taking five minutes to read. I think that in this case, it's fine because it's not. It didn't take five minutes to read because nothing happened.
0: No, 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 no. Which is Definitely. normally
2: the complaint. Normally, when you say the comic only took me five minutes to read, it's because it's like ten pages of story packed into the thirty pages. No, of comic. this was just boom, boom, boom. This was like 40 pages of comic book packed into 20 pages of comic. Book. Absolutely. And, but like I read it, like I ravenously read it. I, I was like, I was so in love with it by the end of it. This, this is a buy it for me. It was incredible. I loved it. And second, <laughs> the laser bow as a rule, I do not want my green arrow running around with a laser bow. I just don't. <laughs> it's silly, but because, we don't, but he's somewhere because, weird because he's a green arrow, but, in the same way that when Ali got like this is very clearly mirroring Ali getting marooned on the island. It, now he's marooned on an alien planet. Absolutely. And what did he have to do? He had to scrounge what he could and make and a bow. build some tools to get by. And he didn't shoot a laser out of it. He shot a chainsaw he shot arrow. An arrow. Yeah. <laughs> so right. And so yeah, this guy, given the given the world he finds himself in, was able to piece together a bow. And some trick arrows. And I think that's that kicks ass. Uh, Totally. That subtly indicates that Ali is a much smarter designer, borderline inventor than anyone has ever given it, given him credit for. I also love that all of the things that we have had complaints about when it has come to past reinventions of Green Arrow, especially with the new 52, were addressed in this issue at, like without even calling attention to them really you you will get just a panel of oliver queen with roy dressed as speedy wearing the old style outfits like this idea that he became green arrow at age 20 and he was a good looking hip dude in 2011 wearing yeah. his body armor like that's gone that's gone. And, this, I, has, and this it re- has reestablished the, the old Ollie, the, the, the longtime hero family man Ollie is firmly reestablished. Yeah, and much like the Doom Patrol, they're just like, why?
0: Because it is. Go. Because it is, right. Fine. And, that's fine. And
2: that's kind of, I think, one of the mandates of Dawn of DC. It seems like it. And we'll talk about it again with Shazam here in a few minutes, but basically it just means... Yeah, it happened. Don't worry about it. Right.
0: Like, don't worry about it. Do you want to enjoy the comic or not? Because it's a good story. Do you want to enjoy it or not?
2: <laughs> That's we what need they're to get, asking we need you. To, yeah, we as a we as a fandom need to get over this obsessive compul- this obsessive need to organize events. Like continuity is important, and I get it. I love it too but you can be vague about things. You can say that this happened X years ago and that this happened X plus five years ago. Right. And that this happened X plus 10 years ago. You don't have to say that this happened in 1963. Right. Otherwise Batman is 65 years old. So right. Right. That's what you want. We can Uh, do that. uh, The art is incredible. The story is wonderful. I'm so happy for Roy. I'm happy to see Dinah. I don't love Dinah's current costume. I don't need the big yellow bird on it. I kind of don't either. It's dumb. Right. We already it's, know. I liked it better when she was just all in black.
0: Right? Yeah. Or, I mean, like, hey, put a little bird thing on your shoulder. You know, like, uh, like Power yeah. Girl has the S. Put
2: a bird on her shoulder. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's a small thing. It's a yeah. small thing. But, but this is wonderful. It's a buy it. Huge buy it. Welcome back, Green Arrow. Hey, Matt, who's got two thumbs, is covered head to toe in green, And don't need no stinking laser arrow to have a good time. Uh, Isn't it, if it's you, I don't know. It's the Hulk, Matt. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I thought
0: you were going to point to yourself for a minute (laughs) there. No, I mean, I assume the Hulk has two working thumbs. Yeah,
2: of course he does. Unlike a certain dark knight, we're going to talk about that later. I'm reviewing Hulk number 14 from Marvel Comics. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Ryan Otley. With pencils by Otley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, Colors by Marty Gracia, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. What does VC stand for? Virtual calligraphy. Oh, okay. Yes, and it's got a cover by Oddly and Gracia. Here oh, is your solicitor. I Thought it was Victorious Cockblock. That
0: was my guess. <laughs> victorious Cockblocks Corey Pettit.
2: <laughs> Hulk Planet Finale, Titan is unleashed. Titan is now in control, and his endless rage will lead to the destruction of Hulk Planet. Within the remaining fragments of the Mind Palace, Bruce Banner must reckon with the harm he has inflicted on the Hulk if either of them are to have any chance of regaining control and saving the planet. But Bruce knows better than anyone that once a part of the Hulk has unlocked itself, there's no closing that door ever again? I don't think that question mark was supposed to be there, which makes me think which makes me think that the question mark after finale was also not supposed to be. there. <laughs> I mean, maybe that, or they are trying to, like, Where is it, I, right. you know? <laughs> surprise revelations and shocking twists abound in Ryan Otley's mind blowing Hulk Planet finale. <laughs> Good <laughs> <laughs> question. <mark.
1: laughs>
2: Ryan Otley is given the unenviable task of finishing a much hyped run. One that he started with writer Donnie Cates on his own. Unfortunately, the results are about as mixed as you might expect. I don't know how long the whole Starship Hulk thing was supposed to last or how it was supposed to end, but this couldn't have been it. Otley does an admirable job with the script, but it feels like just way too much going on to wrap everything up in a coherent way. Bruce Banner literally has the ending of the story explained to him over the course of the final three pages, but even then it makes little sense. Even Otley's usually stellar artwork devolves into a jumbled mess of differently colored shapes covered by captions, sound effects, and word balloons. I don't want to speculate about why Otley was left to finish the run himself. We don't really know anything and it wouldn't be our business even if we did, but it's a shame that a run that began with such promise didn't have a chance to tell the story it intended. I'm giving Hulk 14 a leave it that like, There's no reason to read this because I doubt this is the story that you started reading to begin with.
0: I feel really bad for Ryan Otley because he did the best he could in a shitty situation. And it's nobody's fault, mind you. So I'm not going to, I will not get on the train of blaming Donnie Cates for stepping away. I think he did the best he could with what he was given. He's never had a major writing assignment like this before. I'll give Marvel props for letting him him do it. And I think they did it on the strength of his art because the artwork is intensely amazing. He's so good. And his covers, his interior art has just been gorgeous. But not everybody can be a writer, and that's okay. Well, and I also thought that this issue visually fell apart. It did. That's where I'm going next. I don't know again, we don't know what happened, but it sure seems like he got to a point where he said, I'm done. We're summing it up. Because this was just a sudden end. Like you said, there's no reason to read it.
2: Well, it, it kind of makes end me wonder. Well,
0: and unfortunately, it kinda- we probably don't see him on another big book like this because this is not what he likes to do. He likes to do creator-owned stuff. He's been offered all manner of Marvel and DC jobs, I'm sure. The guy's wildly talented, but he likes to work on creator-owned stuff, and good for him, and he's going to go back, and he's going to do something awesome. It's just too bad that this run ended this way. It is a leave it for me as well.
2: I don't know if it was Otley's decision so much as it was Marvel's saying, you know what, it's time. We need to bring this storyline to an end. It's hard to know. So that we can relaunch it with an actual complete creative. Right. Let's stick
0: with our relaunch theme and talk about a book that gets relaunched once a year. It's Alien from Marvel. This will be Alien number one, parentheses, 2023.
2: Not to be confused with Alien number six, parentheses, 2023. (laughs) Right. This is from Marvel slash 20th Century
0: Comics. It's $4.99. It's written by Declan Shalvey. Art by Andrea Brocardo. And cover by DK Ruan. Here is your solicit. Scientist Batya Zahn will do just about anything to get her family off the icy moon where they've been conducting research on water conservation. But there's more than glacial springs to find in this forgotten corner of the galaxy. When they discover an extraordinary organism buried in the ice, I'll let you guess what it is
2: it's a Prometheus. <laughs> I don't
0: say that. It won't take long for tensions to heat up. What is hidden in the snow comes forth in the thaw, and no one will be welcoming this spring a new era of Alien. Start here! I've been dismissive of Alien comics in the past, saying they're basically all the same formula. Unsuspecting person or people stumble upon Xenomorph, then the screaming starts. While it looks like that is where Shalvi's story is also going, he does a really excellent job setting up the plot and creating the eerie sense of isolation every alien story needs. Ricardo's art and drafting in this issue are fantastic. His study of the style and tech of the alien films shows in everything from his mining stations to the ships and even the dress of the Wayland yutani troops that show up right out of the end of Alien 3. Which they also mention in the front matter here, Marvel seems to really be leaning in on this twentieth century comics feel with its new installment of alien comics. It feels more like its movie counterparts than the two previous series. I mean, and that's an opinion. I'm not saying the pre- the two previous weren't supposed to be in that same universe. They were this one just feels a little more in the style of the movies that I enjoyed. The formula is here, yes. But sometimes you just need a creative team that understands how to make alien work. It feels like these guys do. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I really
2: liked this. No, like, sorry, trying real hard not to do that. I really enjoyed this. I'm not always super thrilled about alien comics. It's easy not to find, unfortunately. I mean, they're fine. But this one I enjoyed. I especially liked the art. I liked the setting, you know, the ice planet thing. It's pretty cool. Or the ice moon, right? It's, it's a neat idea. Uh, Why anybody does any space exploration at all in this universe? I will never understand. Like did Wayland Yutani just cover everything up? Yeah. Does nobody know? No, they don't know.
0: They've kept it really, really quiet. That's why when they find it, they were like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. Nobody's like, I know what that
2: is. (laughs) That's a real easy way of being able to tell the exact same story a thousand times. It is. Yes. (laughs) Uh, This was good, though. I I really, really loved the art. I don't I'm not familiar with Andrea Bacardo. I'm not either. He was
0: fantastic.
2: Yeah. Super good art. Uh, I will say one thing. (laughs) I do think whenever they show the xenomorph straight on where you just see that kind of grin and set of teeth. I think it looks kind of silly. See? I don't. I
0: think it's terrifying.
2: I think he did a really I good think job they, on it. I think they looked scarier, you know, in profile or from an angle, but like straight on, like when you're looking straight into the muzzle, I was like, eh, that looks kind of goofy. Kind of like the Joker, like Jack Nicholson's Joker with the weird cheeks. I but think it's scary. Anyway, that's a me. That's a me thing. This is by it for me. You know, and I've liked a couple of these alien revival comics, especially since Philip Kennedy Johnson kind of reinvigorated it at Marvel. And I'm glad that Declan Shelby is continuing that fine tradition. See, I, I thought, really enjoyed myself. I thought
0: PKJ started good, but it went to, to uh, sort well, of. I mean, I didn't read it. It went of to Marvel, a weird place. So. It went to a weird
2: place. That's all I'm going to say. That I don't need. I also liked that Predator one we did, where they. Uh, that Predator number one. I don't remember who wrote Predator number one.
0: All the Predator comics that I have read at Marvel have been really The one that Kev good. Walker drew. Yeah. They've all been really good.
1: I will purge the earth of these benighted humans.
2: Ugh, Matt, it's taken a thousand years, but finally, the Sins of Sinister has reached its conclusion. Yeah, we died
0: like how many times while this was going on? And they just so kept farting times. us back out of I the eggs. Re- I don't even
2: <laughs> remember some things or people. You know, that's just how it goes. Of, to- of course, I'm talking about Sins of Sinister Dominion number one from Marvel Comics. It's 56 pages or $5.99. It's written by Kieran Gillen. With art by Paco Medina and Lucas Wernick, colors by Brian Valenza, letters by VC's Clayton Cowles, and a cover by Lanil Francis Yu and Jesus Abertov. Here's your solicit 7 trillion deadly sins. That is so many sins. That's a lot of sins. I mean, really. A thousand years of hell and damnation comes to an end with the loudest scream in history, and for the truly guilty, there is no escape. Can the future change the present, or will we just make all the same mistakes again? Either way, the present will have to live with the future's sins. Wait a minute. You need a flowchart to understand. (laughs) What? a flowchart to understand. Hold on. Karen Keelan. Lay off the peyote next time, bud. I've got a confession to make. I kind of tapped out on sense of sinister after the first issue of the three tie-ins. I did not. I read for you, bud. I'm happy for you. Literally all of it. (laughs) I'm, I'm proud of you. It doesn't really seem to have mattered, but I'm going to get there. I love the idea of it all. I still do. It was just a little too much for me to keep track of in execution. Again, It's a me thing. Many things are a me thing you will find when listening to this program. But Dominion brings everything to a close while setting up some pretty intriguing consequences for the future of the X-Men line. But there's also a bit of unfortunate disconnect as the climactic events of this issue predictably and necessarily render the events of the past three months almost completely moot. Is that really a satisfying conclusion? That's up to you to decide, I guess. The art by Medina, Wernick, and Valenza is a non-stop spectacle of cosmic ultra-violence. It's so great. As the story ends, a fan favorite from the earliest days of Dawn of X makes their return, and the Quiet Council may never be the same. I may have checked out On Sins of Sinister's individual storylines, but Dominion brings Nathaniel Essex's latest scheme to a close, and it sets the stage for the upcoming fall of X. I'm giving this a buy it. I had so much fun.
0: It it was a really fun
2: kind of roller
0: coaster for these last three months. It did the thing. It was Kieran Gillen doing. Okay, we're going to talk about another X-Men comic in a minute here that is also doing this, like, sort of experimental storytelling, where things are happening in the future, they started in the past, but this future doesn't count, but it is going to affect things in the real past, and things like that, and I think he did it in a very satisfying manner, quite honestly, and to be fair, we've got another issue of Immortal X-Men number 11 that will reveal if everything is sort of wiped away or not. We don't totally know yet. We know how this chapter ended, but something well, was happens. supposed to come out this week.
2: It turns out, I don't know if it did or
0: not. It did come out this week. I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, not ready yet. Editor's note. I read immortal X-Men 11 this morning, and there are ramifications to the story. X-Men mind and Matt. Something happens in this book that I will not spoil. That is definitely big. And we'll carry over into that issue and we'll know for certain from there if this is status quo or not. Art was incredible. Absolutely Ugh. incredible. And all the future X people that they designed were so kick ass. I love them all. <laughs> like yeah. I want those action figures. This is great. It has been a super fun event. I think Kieran Gillen is the smartest guy writing superhero comics today. Huge buy it for me.
2: I, you know, and I think... I mentioned earlier Hulk and how the art just kind of devolved into this mess of jumbled shapes covered in words. Yeah. That sort of happens here too. Except Wernick and Medina give enough room to breathe that you can actually comprehend. Even if you don't necessarily understand what's happening, you can comprehend the elements on the page yeah, you know what i mean they're doing it with more
0: purpose i would say whereas yes. the hulk book we read seems like it was finished in a hurry this was purposefully supposed to be cosmic slop at some points where you're just like And you know Let's stay with the subject of huge slam-bang superhero event comics and talk about Deep Cuts, number one, from Image. (laughs) It is $5.99. It's written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, with art by Daniil Bayruth, cover by Chris Bruner, colors by Igor Monti, and letters by Hassan Asmani Alahu. There's no way we are saying that guy's name right, and I apologize, Hassan. Call us and yell at us, please. We deserve it. Here's your solicit. I mean, you don't have to yell. We're doing doing our best. Miniseries premiere! We're not going to learn unless you yell. New Orleans, 1917. In the city's bustling red light district, a young clarinet player lands a job with his hero, but he'll soon discover there's more to the music business than playing the right notes. Join writers Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, who worked on Radiant Black, and an all-star cast of artists for six double-length issues that weave stories of struggle, joy, and hope through the history of jazz. Also superheroes, right? No. You Re- promised. Real heroes, Joe. The only thing harder to pull off in a comic... Jazz musicians. Yes. The real heroes. Jazz musicians. <laughs> the only thing harder to pull off in a comic than car chases has got to be music. Usually it's a character singing in italics with musical notes floating around their word balloons. It almost never works. But Bayreuth uses musical notes as almost a ghostly effect in the background of a wonderfully illustrated New Orleans... He uses snaking word balloons to show the music coming from horns and the main character aces clarinet. Kyle Higgins has mainly been known for his work on Power Rangers and his new radiant black universe of heroes, but he's excellent here working with established jazz musician and professor Joe Clark, who even wrote out the score for one of the songs in the Batman. That was so cool. It's incredible.
2: I, wish that, I, I wish I was good enough to have played that so I could hear it.
0: Deep Cuts is destined to end up as curriculum reading for classes, examining the graphic novels, a method of visual historic storytelling by an amazing creative team who truly love jazz and the musicians that gave their lives to their art. This is a huge buy-it. And I gotta say, whenever I go into this stuff, I always go, oh boy, here we go. Because it seems like it's one of those... Darling comics that people are just like it's so easy to just throw compliments at, yeah, and, and right. sometimes those are great, and other times they are an absolute slog. This was not this was
2: gorgeous and so well executed I loved it right uh, I think that there's a difference between something like this, which is essentially a uh it's essentially historical fiction right and something. That's musically themed, but it's full of pretentious characters being all precious and doing things for the love of music. It's like, settle down, Kieran Gillen. This isn't Phonogram. Okay? We just talked about how smart Kieran Gillen is. <laughs> I'm just, You know what I'd say? Phonogram was the only musical-themed fiction comic I could come up with. I like phonograms out there. Whatever. Of course you did. This is really just a loving historical account or you know fictional fictionally historical account of turn of the century era jazz musicians in new orleans it's like warts and all yeah racism segregation you know uh, uh the um economic divide you know cl- uh, class divide and thieves uh, hookers you know, yeah guys, it's you know
0: guys stabbing and bro- cutting off fingers and stuff brothels yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's uh Oh yeah. Like brutal violence between, uh, between rival musicians, like to the point where like, it's like at the end, not to spoil anything, but you're left thinking is the bad guy, the good guy, Is the good guy, the bad guy. Like, what have I, like, what did I just read? And that's, that's life, baby. You know, yeah, life is messy, especially on the mean streets. And this was a really loving account of, of a really fascinating time in music history. This guy, Joe Clark, knows his stuff. And Kyle Higgins does a wonderful job bringing the characters to life. The art is excellent. I got a real kind of Kagan McLeod vibe. Oh yeah. It's It's exaggerated, exaggerated faces, but not quite all the way exaggerated. Yeah. Like almost, almost caricature in some, some
0: aspects, but, but still really tight, you know, and man, yeah, super
2: talented. This is a huge buy it. I I went into this not under not, not even knowing what it was. And I by the time I finished the 50-some pages, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was phenomenal.
1: New comic book Wednesday, May 3rd.
2: My first review from this week is no na 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 Batman number nine hundred, aka number one hundred and thirty-five. It's from DC Comics. It's 56 pages for $6.99. Sorry, DC. Marvel did you one better by putting out that uh, their 56-page comic for only $5.99. Yep. Hey. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, Jorge Jimenez, and Michael Janin, with inks by Adriano Benedetto, Jimenez, and Janin, colors by Tomu More and Romulo Fayardo, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Later in the episode, he will be referred to as VCs, Clayton Cowles. I don't make the rules. Maybe he's stepping
0: out on the victorious cock block crew. I don't know. This is the second Romulo like, Fiardo book of the week, too. That guy's having a hell
2: of a well, week. How about th- oh, you're right. Here's your solicit. It's Batman versus Red Mask in a brutal Gotham that's never known hope. Can the Dark Knight overcome the terrifying infection that Red Mask has unleashed? Only one thing is certain. He won't be able to do it alone. The conclusion to the best-selling The Batman of Gotham is so big it could only be contained in an oversized number 900-anniversary issue featuring the return of fan-favorite artist Jorge Jimenez and a wild collection of guest stars. I mean, technically, it's all the same guest star. Yeah. uh, Full of wild revelations and a new path for Batman. This is one issue you won't want to miss. I kid. It's all in fun. It is a lot of guest stars. Yeah. Chip Zdarsky brings his weirdo alternate reality Batman story to an end in yet another milestone issue. We just can't get away from those damn things. The man who would be Joker, known as the Red Mask, has a plan to embrace his inner Arkham inmate by plugging himself into the multiverse. But the multiverse has other plans. Zdarsky is able to deliver a conclusion full of huge ideas and emotional moments in an issue that's basically a 60-page love letter to the Dark Knight. The art by the tag team trio of Hawthorne, Jimenez, and Janin, along with the various inkers and color artists, is incredibly good. Just like stunning on almost every level, especially during Batman's Magical Mystery Tour of the Multiverse. There was more than one moment delivered by Jimenez and More that stopped me dead in my tracks. You will know them when you see them. Yeah, <laughs> one of them I was like, OK, <laughs> no, but it was like at first I was like, OK. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that's f- cool. Yeah. Batman number 900 is an issue full of action, humor and heart full of everything. A big anniversary celebration should be. However, there is one pretty glaring plot thread that I am very interested to see play out in the issues to come. No spoilers here, but I did kind of hint at it earlier in the show. I'm giving this a huge bite. It's bonkers. I loved it. Let's talk about that in the gang hang. Yeah. Uh, I very
0: much enjoyed this. Chip Zdarsky is definitely demonstrating that he understands Batman and he can write the hell out of Batman. That's great. I'm ready for Batman to go home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, well yeah. well, yeah. Of course. That, that's you. my only complaint. I'm just a little multiversed out right now because there's so much multiversal yeah, stuff yeah. going on. I mean, even Ollie's like stuck in this stuff right now. And, and like, I feel like we're talking about this in, in several different comics, and I realize the multiverse is super hot. I'm just kind of done with it. So let's go home now. This was a good, I'm not saying it was too long either. This was a good length for his weirdo Batman yeah, story. It was a pretty, wasn't too long. I admire
2: the rest. I actually, I really admired the restraint uh, of all of the kind of um, oversized issues this week. You know, they were manageable size and they weren't nine dot nine ninety nine. No, know? I'll give they you were,
0: that. And the other thing that I was, was going to say yeah. is like, this is, we often talk about issues that have a bunch of inkers and that's a problem or issues that have a bunch of artists that are side by side. where We go, well, that just doesn't even make sense. You can tell they thought about this. These guys got together. They went, okay, we're all going to work this way and it's going to work well. And the stuff that does stick out is supposed to it's with purpose. And it was really well done. Giving us a buy it. Doesn't feel like a 900 issue to me. It just doesn't. You can't be like Batman, one thirty 900, you know, it like, doesn't, I know, mean, it, it, is doesn't, I know it is, but it just doesn't feel like a milestone. It just feels like a very good end to a good Batman story. Let's talk about some real Batman, and I mean vampires, and I think that's what they are, and the pages of Survival, number one, from Dark Horse. I they were werewolves. It's 32 pages, it's $3.99, it's written by Sean Lewis, with art by Brendan Everett, colorist Natalie Barhona, and cover artist Tom Coker. Here's your solicit. It's Red Dawn meets 30 Days of Night.
2: Well, I guess I should have read that solicit. I wouldn't have been confused about whether or not they were vampires.
0: I'll talk about that in a minute. When Emma Reed journeyed back to her hometown in Alaska, she was expecting little more than tense family reunion at an annual military alumni get-together. But early that morning, a plane crash landed in the thick woods near the mountain. And the creature within brings an ancient terror to the last American frontier and will turn the unspoiled wilderness into a killing ground. When you invoke... A story like 30 Days of Night in the Solicit, it is impossible not to expect the reader to expect vampires, right? And that might be what we're getting here. Although, the one monstrous character we do see is definitely running around in daylight
2: and using a gun. So, he also has, he's also very... He's got really long hair, and he clawed a guy to death. Yeah, maybe, which is not I mean, vampire.
0: He major. has like claws, and he's definitely holding a guy up. I don't know if he clawed throughout no. Fit you it see
2: him, and you see him in the issue. Swipe his claw like well, it is. It is vampires inferred, do that stuff implied. too. Though. Vampires do that stuff too. Come definitely. on now, if vampires you have see claws. Somebody, if you see somebody, gau- a monster gouging a character to death, it ain't no vampire. Vampires
0: so. definitely have claws and scratch people too. That's a thing.
2: I but. get it, but. There's a shorthand to these things, and the shorthand reads werewolf, not vampire. Sure. So something is going on, and it's not spelled
0: out yet. The story has a nice setup with some creepy news coming out of Russia. I love the idea of ex-military militia nuts fighting vampires. I mean, we'll call them that for lack of clarity. And Lewis certainly isn't glorifying white supremacist militias here. But there are some problems in the art and storytelling. There's a scene where the main character chases the vamp... We're just going with that to a cliff along with one other character. And they seem to witness things that may be happening in the woods or close to the camp, but no one else in the camp seems to see it. It's disorienting. And while it didn't ruin the story, it was a problem that left me confused. I'm fine with the mystery of what kind of monster is attacking the Alaskan woods. I'm sure they're going to spell that out. But when you pair that with some storytelling issues, it left me having trouble getting invested, which is too bad, because Red Dawn meets 30 Days of Night sounds amazing. Until you find out it's good old white supremacist boys holed up in the mountains, then I kind of just want the vamps to massacre the whole lot of them. I'm giving this a skimmit. it There it is. It could get better. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but right now, it was just a little disorienting for me. Uh, it felt like they maybe had to cut out a couple pages where the character saw something and went "Ah, Screw it. We'll just say they saw it from the cliff, you know,
2: clearly between the two of us reading the same comic and misunderstanding things in different ways. Yeah. Clearly the issues got problems. So, it's like, okay, uh, when there's like a
0: rule. There's like a comic book story rule. You got to put it on the page. You can't just have a character be like, look, do you see that over there? And character is like, yeah, that's right. crazy. Like you got to show me what
2: you're well, looking it, at. It, it's not just, <laughs> it, it's not even a, it's not a comic book rule. It's, it's, it's a story. It's a visual storytelling rule in general. Right. It's a, it's a rule about writing as well. It's show. Don't tell. Yes. Which, which means exactly. you have characters witness a thing. You don't have a character say that they witnessed a thing. Yeah. When I uh, read this and I got to the part where the, the bikers find the uh, villain uh, killing a guy, my instinct was like werewolf. Hair plus long fingernails plus daytime werewolf. Right. right. Which, again, again, that doesn't make sense either, because werewolves come out at night. Yeah, and when he kills some people... Vampires they, definitely don't come out during the when day. When he kills
0: some people, they seem to kind of turn into zombies? They're sort of like well, eating people?
2: Like, well, he's... But, see, I, I thought werewolf at first, but then he's also, like, draining the blood out of them into IV bags. Yeah. And then they showed one of the victims hooked up to an IV bag full of blood, which means... Is it happening because he's bitten them, or did he? is he injecting them full of this tainted blood? Right, and all of this scream, regardless, all of this
0: screams some type of vampire thing,
2: right? Vampiric, yes. Yeah. Some sort of monstrous thing. I was confused, I was already confused, and then by the end of it, or by the time the book ended, and the very generously named military alumni... <laughs> are really just a bunch of redneck militia assholes. Yeah. I honestly was like, I just kind of hope they all die. I, I don't really care if any of them survive. I'm going to give it a it because I like Sean Lewis and I, un, and I trust him to have a story in mind here, but right now I'm not sold on it. I'm yeah. just not. I'm with you.
1: When Billy speaks the wizard's name... Shazam! Billy becomes Captain Marvel...
2: If there's one book you can count on getting long-haired bloodsuckers right, it's Shazam. <laughs> which is why I am proud to be reviewing Shazam number one from DC Comics. It's 32 pages for 3.99. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora, with colors by Alejandro Sanchez, letters by Troy Pateri, and a cover by Mora. Here's your solicit. The world's finest creators present the world's mightiest mortal in a dazzling solo series: Dinosaurs from Space. The Clubhouse of Eternity, Homicidal Worms and Talking Tigers, Atomic Robots, Alien Worlds, Mad Scientists, Sinister Curses, and Villains from Throughout the DC Universe. Welcome to the wild adventures of Billy Batson, whose big red alter ego defends the Earth from its weirdest and wildest threats. Want to stop Lex Luthor and the Joker? Call Superman and Batman. International Crisis? Page Warner Woman. But when Gargwax, Emperor of the Moon, sets his sights on Gorilla City... That's when you shout Shazam! The fan favorite team of what? I think it's Shazam. Oh yeah, it is Shazam. (laughs) The fan favorite team of Mark Waid and Dan Mora, you know them from Batman Superman World's Finest, brings the magic. Like that solicit just said, Mark Waid and Dan Mora prove that they were the absolute best choice to bring Billy Batson back to the forefront in less than 30 story pages. Wade gently resets Billy's origin and status quo without throwing away anything that's come before, a theme that we have talked about time and again on this very episode. He establishes a nickname that Billy can actually say without transforming that also pays homage to his Captain Marvel roots. He also manages to explain something that's never really occurred to me before, that there is a difference between wisdom and maturity. With just a few lines of dialogue, Wade shows how someone with the wisdom of Solomon can still act like a silly kid, even in his hero form, but he also focuses on one of the most important aspects of the character. Above all else, the captain is kind. In your face, Zachary Levi. (laughs) We have gushed about Dan Mora's amazing art over and over again on this show, so it won't surprise you to hear that his work is outstanding here as well. Whether it's tea-sipping dinosaurs, talking tigers, or the aftermath of an 8.4 earthquake, the guy can do it all. I smiled the entire time I was reading Shazam number one. What more can you really ask for? This is a huge
0: Buy it. I totally agree. And I think this is further evidence of this dawn of DCU just saying, look, deal with it. We're going to take the good stuff. And we're going to put it in the book. There you go. And it's fine. We don't have to question it. It's fun. The captain thing. God, that's great. It's brilliant. It's And I love that it's a joke. Yes. I love that it's a joke. And it's brilliant. And he hates it. And it, yes. it totally works. The art was fantastic. Wade is having fun here. And we were right. We called a shot and said, if anybody can do this right, it's Mark Wade. This is exactly what you do with this guy. Uh, I believe what you
2: actually go said was if if I believe what you actually said was if Mark Wayne and Dan Mora can't make us care about Shazam then it's time for the character to go away yeah, forever. Yeah, then we're
0: done. Just put it pack it up.
2: <laughs> Call it. They nailed it. <laughs> Good news, it all worked out.
0: Your second Peacemaker appearance comes in the pages of Peacemaker Tries Hard, Book One. It's from DC Black Label. It's 32 pages. It's $4.99. No, they don't show his hog. It's written by Kyle Starks. It's got art by Steve Pugh, colors by Jordy Belair, letters by Becca Carey, and a kick ass cover by Chris Anka. I love Chris Anka. That guy rules. Here's your solicit. Having earned his release from the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker wants to try and do normal superhero stuff for a change. Unfortunately, everyone, including the bad guys, think he sucks at normal superhero stuff. But when busting up a terrorist ring introduces Christopher Smith to the cutest thing to ever walk, awkwardly, that is, on four legs, he finds the unconditional love he's been denied his whole life. That is, until the dog is kidnapped. Right out from under him by a supervillain who also appeared in another comic book this week, which kind of blows my mind. But here we are. (laughs) Who has some very unsuperheroic plans for Peacemaker's brand of ultraviolence. Will he help an infamously unstable, superpowered criminal steal the world's most valuable and dangerous DNA? Honestly, Christopher's pretty lonely, so... Probably just depends on how nicely they ask. Breakout writer Kyle Starks, who's working on I Hate This Place and the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, which we loved. And art legend Steve Pugh, who really is a legend, you guys, who worked on Preacher Special, Sand of Killers, Harley Quinn, Breaking Glass, and a ton of other things, deliver a brutal and hilarious take on DC's biggest piece of shit that will bust guts, break bones, and melt hearts. This Peacemaker story takes place in the HBO show Continuity, but honestly, I don't think anyone would be upset if John Cena's character replaced the regular DCU Peacemaker. Because it's black label, Starks is able to work very blue, packing the comic with Peacemaker's perverted sophomoreic humor, and he's masterful, right down to his perverted onomatopoeia like flawless dictory when punching a terrorist in the I'm sure you get it. <laughs> yeah. In the dictionary. Yeah. In the dictionary. Pugh's art is just excellent. As always, he's nailed the look and feel of the show without photo referencing characters and manages to make a comedic script still look like an action packed superhero comic. Belair subdues his colors just enough to maintain the real world gritty and particularly grimy feel of the TV show. There's some really gross stuff that happens in this by the way (laughs) normally these tv adaptations are cash grabs trading on the popularity of the show but this creative team does an amazing job making this comic feel like it could be another hilarious episode of the peacemaker and i'm saying it just let kyle starks write the next season
2: this was great i'm giving it a buy it I don't think that it's literally supposed to be an adaptation of the show No, I don't I I, I don't think it is. I just think it, it feels like It does not take place in the universe of the show. No. It takes place in a very cinematic influenced DC yeah. universe. It just the feels that version there. of the Suicide Squad yeah. is there. Right. But yeah, it does it is essentially like it's the John Cena peacemaker. Like why even why even fight it? Why even try? No to hide question. It? I will say that I mentioned this uh, on the Discord, but when I read the words Flawless Dictory, I snorted so hard my <laughs> brain was going to... I thought my, my brain was going to turn inside out. This comic is almost effortlessly funny, and the artwork by Pugue is, is outstanding. Yeah. He doesn't bother with likenesses. You know who it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter. And it's just so well done. The action scenes are so ridiculously over the top intense, like peacemaker holding thugs up by their nostrils with his middle finger. Right. (laughs) You know, so he's flipping them off while holding them up. It's this comic book is so good. It's so good. If you have any affection for the show at all, this is a must buy 100%. It's a buy it. And even if you haven't seen the show, this is just a great kind of standalone continuity, adjacent mature readers, peacemaker comic that does more to make the character fun and, and a joy to read than any appearance that he's made. I will say in the last 35 years.
0: Yeah. And I, I would argue like you could take this peacemaker and put him right in that unstoppable doom patrol book. And it
2: still works. <laughs> Problem with that. I mean, you he know? essentially Maybe like they're giving him a shot between, at a different job. You know? Yeah. Uh, the only differences between the two is that, peacemaker and Dubitzel seems to be more with it, like he's kind of in charge. This peacemaker is clearly like a flunky, yeah, yeah an yeah. errand boy. Well, this
0: boy. this peacemaker is clearly John Cena,
2: right? But really, the only other difference between the two is that one only one of them curses. Yeah, and it's but yeah, outstanding job, outstanding, huge, huge buy it for me. <laughs> The only non-Marvel, non-DC superhero book on my list this week is Star Signs Number 1 from Image Comics. Busted! 32 this pages. is a superhero comic. I'm the only guy that read the, the historical jazz book, okay? <laughs> I mean, I read it too. I'm the smart one, Joe. <laughs> all right, all right. It's 32 pages for three ninety-nine. It's written by Saladin Ahmed, with art by Megan Levens, with colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick, letters by Sean Lee, and a cover by Levens and Fitzpatrick. Here's your solicit series premiere, not mini-series. The constellations of the Zodiac fall to Earth, granting 12 ordinary people from very different walks of life the superhuman powers of the star signs. But each of them is about to learn that power always comes with a price. Eisner award-winning writer Saladin Ahmed, you know him from Miles Morales, and sci-fi star artist Megan Levins from Star Trek launch an exciting new series about astrology, superpowers, and diverse found family in the tradition of X-Men and heroes. Maybe don't. Mm, yeah. Let's not, maybe invoke. don't, throw, let's not invoke maybe invoke don't heroes. throw your lot in with that one yeah, guys,
0: you know, uh, in the tradition of X-Men and a show that sucks. <laughs> and
2: also and also more X-Men. There's always enough <laughs> yeah, X-Men. Sure. <laughs> Solid and Ahmed delivers the first chapter of a story full of super powered intrigue while taking the necessary time to focus on the varied cast of characters. Yes, big things, capital B, capital T, are happening to the cosmos, but Ahmed gives emotional moments to everyone involved, even the apparent villains. I don't fully understand the entire concept yet, but that's okay, because we spend most of our time with Rana, a normal caterer from Brooklyn who also has no idea what's happening. She loves her friends, she loves her baba, she tolerates her job, she's perfectly relatable right up until the moment that she causes the flow of time to freeze in its tracks. This issue is really beautiful, thanks to some lovely art from Levins and gorgeous, gorgeous color art by Fitzpatrick. I love that everything kind of has this texture to it, and the scenes of the night sky are especially striking. Now, I don't give a shit about astrology, like at... All. Yeah, I hate but it. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, yeah, I hate don't, it. <laughs> I, like I don't believe in it. You don't to need shirt. to believe in it because it's not real. So <laughs> uh, yeah, but come on, look, man. I'm not going to be dismissive of anybody's. Love. I will. But I'll be dismissive of it. Star signs number one takes a concept I have no interest in whatsoever and turns it into an idea full of interesting promise. I'll definitely be back for more. Giving this a buy it.
0: Uh, Ahmed was fantastic on Miles Morales and I like that he's stepping out doing his own thing here and showing I can do it without an established character. It's a it's a clever idea. I would be way more into astrology if it proved it exists by doing shit like this, you know? <laughs> I love the colors in this book. Like her powers, the way she radiates the orange around her and mm-hmm. she's stopping time but you can see like there's almost like a force field but it's not solid. It's kind of broken up. And it looks really good. It really illustrates her power very well. You could tell they put a lot of thought into this. It's a really good first issue. And it's got a shtick. You know, like, when you say, like, oh, well, I'm Pisces and I'm Taurus. Like, oh, okay. You know, uh, I get it. I I know where your powers are coming from. I kind of know what you're going to do and stuff like that. It's a good shtick. I'm giving this a buy it. Our final X-Men comic of the week is X-Men Before the (laughs) Fall, Sons of X, number one. There should be a colon in there, or at least two, (laughs) probably, right? At least one, we'll say that. This is from Marvel. It's 36 pages. It's only $4.99. Again, showing some restraint here. Written by Cy Spurrier, with art and cover by Phil Noto, and letterer VT Clayton Cowles. There it is, and we decided what that stood for earlier. Here is your solicit. A battle of the Titans of the X Universe! A man of innumerable personalities and powers versus the most powerful artificial intelligence in the universe Legion versus Nimrod! sort of with nightcrawler and orcas clutches david holler and his allies will have to confront the mastermind who destroyed warlock and nearly took krakoa with him but nightcrawler is not himself and legion's allies aren't all they seem to be either mutant monsters roam the earth banshee broken once again dreams of lost vengeance mother righteous her role in sins of sinister unrevealed takes another stab at universal control Cy Spurrier and Phil Noto usher in the new
2: status quo for some of your favorite X-Men in this can't
0: miss one shot.
2: Little peek her behind role the, of sinister, her rule of sin, her role in sins of sinister was revealed. I, I'm,
0: well, I guess it wasn't Joe because she does something else here. <laughs> A peek behind the curtain. While I read, These comics, I take notes, little bullet-pointed notes, sometimes they come in my reviews, sometimes they're just notes for us to talk about stuff. I have one note for this comic, it is in all caps, and it says, YOU BETTER BE CAUGHT UP ON LEGION OF X! (laughs) Because if you weren't reading Legion of X, be prepared to be completely lost. The first few pages of the story come off as a time jump, almost, and they are but not in the way you think they are. It's more of a size barrier experimenting with linear storytelling kind of jump that, again, might be easier to follow if you've been reading Legion of X. Without being caught up, I can't tell if this plot is a complete mess or ties up everything that had been going on in that book with a nice little bow. Phil Noto is an artist I have been a fan of for a long time, but his art here is not working for me. It's almost too stiff to give the story the weird psychic action that it needs. And maybe it's a little too bright in this sort of like pastel color palette. It, it just didn't work. This could be a brilliant end to Legion of X. But if so... Why not just make this the final issue of that series rather than a one shot that's supposed to be a precursor to fall of X, but really just kind of sets up nightcrawler becoming the uncanny spider man. And I think That's what it's supposed to be doing. There's nothing definitive here where he looks at the camera and goes, I'm going to go be
2: Spider-Man now. (laughs) Well, except for the (laughs) next issue page, which says follow Nightcrawler into the page. Right.
0: That is it. I mean, I'm giving this a skim it, but this is really a victim again of, and and we've been yelling about DC doing this, but this is Marvel, like making a one shot out of something that really does not need to be a one shot. This should have just been Legion of X, Number whatever, the final issue that sums it all up. Yeah. There you go. And then I'm going to forgive it. But when you. Or I would have ignored it. Right. Or I would have ignored it because I hadn't been reading it. But when you build as a one shot and a precursor to Fall of X, which, yeah, I guess this happens before Fall of X, but I don't think there was anything that was like, oh shit, that's what's going to happen in Fall of X. And I mean, I don't think there was anything other than, Oh shit, Mother Right just did one more thing. <laughs> you know, that like it wasn't I wasn't wondering anything from the ends of Sins of Sinister. I just went, Oh, okay, all right, that's who she is. All right. Oh, well, I guess she's doing this too. Oh, I guess she's done doing that. <laughs> okay. So it's a skimmit. It's it, it's just a skimmit no, it. and it's not, it's probably not this book's fault either.
2: Okay. Well, for me, it's a leave it. And I'm not blaming Cy Spurrier. I'm blaming the marketing. You know what? Let's leave it. You're right. And it, Because there's no reason for you to be reading this book unless you were already reading Legion of X. If you're not reading Legion of X, if you're picking it up because it's either a sins of sinister aftermath because of Mother Righteous or sure. a fall of X prelude because of what it says on the cover. Right. Now I'm Then gonna, there's no reason for you to buy this. I'm going to
0: play Joe for a second here and say, now Matt. It's not fair for you to blame the marketing. Was this comic book at fault? Was the comic book a failure?
2: Well, the comic book is also a failure. I don't disagree.
0: But the marketing (laughs) is especially a failure. Yes. It does does not help the way that it was marketed, certainly.
2: I I think, you know what? I think that the comic book would have been less of a failure if it had been Fall of X number 13 or whatever. Or Legion of X number 13. Right. But as a one-shot, it is an incomprehensible mess. It's a baffling choice. It is it, just I mean, a it, baffling it all, Really, it's not a one-shot. No. It's just a poorly titled. And I, if I'm Cy like Spurrier,
0: book, I'm mad. I'm upset about this decision because it's not fair to him. And it's not fair to Noto either. It's not fair to anybody that worked on this
2: book. Yeah. As far as the actual contents of the comic, I'm confused because, and I don't want to spoil anything about... I don't know how you could... Uh, Um, Well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything about the end of Sins of Sinister, but there are things on display in these pages that directly contradict the very ending of Sins of Sinister. Yeah. And that's all I'll say. So I read this and I was like, wait, what's happening? Why? How? And you'll know it if you read both. I don't think you should bother. I think you should probably just skip this. If Mother Righteous is supposed to be important later on, there will be another comic that does her justice.
0: Yeah. This comic doesn't. This really felt like Cy Spurrier and Kieran Gillen didn't talk about the end of what was going to happen in Sense of Sinister. It really feels like, and then they were like, oh shit, sorry, Cy, I didn't tell you. I was doing it. And he went, can I still tell my story? And Marvel went,
2: "Yeah, I guess. Go ahead." Listen, <laughs> but, but, but you know what, Matt? The thing is, is that I feel like they did because while the two endings contradict each other, they talk about something else that happens earlier in "Sins of Sinister Dominion," the one shot specifically. True. That is a direct like. Well, which is it? it? Like it either we're either before the end or after the end. It can't be both because reality got reset.
0: I agree. And if that is the case, then it's just a failure.
2: Yeah, it's, this is a leave it. Don't read it. There's no reason to read this comic. I'm sure that you'll be able to read Uncanny Spider-Man and be just fine.
0: I am glad Nightcrawler's okay again, though.
2: I didn't even know he wasn't,
0: so. We've got links in our show notes for more details on these comics. But now it is time to pick the one comic that stood out as the best in this pile, and the Peacemaker ceased to have an unfair edge here. Joe, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection?
2: (laughs) Uh, While it is true that I did really love Peacemaker Tries Hard, I am giving it to Green Arrow number one. My heart goes with Green Arrow on this one. It was great. Green Arrow number one was really great. I'm
0: putting deep cuts in the permanent collection because it is important because it is something that is going to be studied later on and it really does stand out. That is to take nothing away from how much I enjoyed the end of Sins of Sinister, how much I enjoyed Green Arrow. But, you know, look, that superhero stuff, we're going to get plenty of it. This is something special. I'm giving mine to Deep Cuts.
2: That's totally fair. To me, I think Deep Cuts is is the sort of thing that you could be just as happy buying in a nice bookshelf edition when it's done. Oh, for sure. And then having, you know, like, a hardcover of deep cuts, you know, rather than having the individual issues.
0: And I will. That's one that I'm going to buy.
2: There you go. What the hell was that? That wasn't scary at all. Normally, we have a clever bit about us conducting some type of black magic or using an infernal object to help us with our picks for next week's comics. But thanks to our Moloid writers strike, this segment just says THN Sanctum Sanctorum picks for next week, Wednesday, May 10th. You pay us. And you know what? I checked
0: on it. They are not members of the guild. So I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) I mean, and we do pay them. They are paid by not getting beaten
2: when they do their job right. (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe we don't make, maybe we don't make actual slavery jokes.
0: They don't have feelings, Joe. I'm not going into this again. They're fungus. Okay. Matt, uh, I guess, what's your pick for next week? My Since that's p- <laughs> yeah. really all we have to lead us in here. Let's get right into it. My pick for next week is Ghost Lore, number one from Boom Studios. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Cullen Bunn with art by Leo Max and a cover by Brian Hurt. And that cover is gross, baby. I like it. Here's your solicit. We've all heard of ghost stories, but what stories do the ghosts themselves tell us? An estranged daughter and her pastor father wander a haunted land. They only have the restless spirits, each with its own story to tell as company along the way. After a deadly accident of which they were the only survivors, Lucas and Harmony Agate can see the dead, an overwhelming amount of the deceased, all with their own warnings, cries for help, and malevolence alike. But Lucas and Harmony aren't the only ones with this ability. There are other nearly deads, some of which have malicious motivations. Cullen Bunn of The Basilisk and The Empty Man Acclaim is joined by superstar artist Leo Max, who worked on Basketful of Heads, and guest artist Brian Hurt, The Sixth Gun. You remember, they were buddies for a long time. The first in a haunting lineup of artists featured in each issue to bring readers the most eye opening spectral story since the Sixth Sense. This 12 issue series is the newest Boom Studios collaboration with Cullen Bunn, with issue number one featuring a special spot UV ghost variant. I don't know what that Whoa, means. Oh. <laughs> I don't uh, know what that dark. means. Okay, doesn't matter. Here's what does matter Leo Max, that dude. Yeah. Is out of control, talented, draws really, really, really good horror stuff. Brian Hurt, one of my favorite horror artists. I love that guy. And Cullen Bunn, who trades in horror. This is what Cullen Bunn does. And he does it better than just about anybody out there right now. Love him.
2: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I this was on my uh, short list as well. Uh, I... <laughs> I will admit that I read the solicit incorrectly at first. I thought it said, but what stories do ghosts tell each other about us? Which, oh. I, thought sound, which I thought sounded much cooler. Like the you know, ghost like, oh, is like, they can't hear like, me, but that guy looks terrible in those pants. <laughs> well, like, but like, go, like ghosts tell scary human stories you sure, know? Sure, instead sure. of yeah. humans telling, which I thought was kind of a neat idea, but you know, hey. Colin Bunn, call me. I'm full of, I'm full of these sources. of <laughs> really? Wow, you're a goldmine. Listen to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, Leo Max, for sure. Brian Hurt and, Bro- and Colin Bunn reunited. I love it. My pick for next week is Green Lantern, number one from DC. It's 4 dollars It's written by Jeremy Adams and Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Hermanico and Montos. Two- one named artists for yeah, the price of one. Oh, uh, you know what? We're actually two for two. Both of our books have one named artists. Oh, it's true. Yeah. It's one name artist. It's one name artist week next week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Spinning out of the events of Dark Crisis, the Guardians of OA at the heart of the Green Lantern Corps have quarantined Sector 2814, home of the planet Earth, and its champion along with it. A heartbreaking defeat has set Hal reeling returning home to rediscover his roots and find the man responsible for ruining his life. Sinestro from the visionary team of Jeremy Adams and Hermonico, who brought you the epic flashpoint beyond. It's true. It was, the art was very good. Comes a tale of redemption loss and finding out that maybe just maybe you can go home again, at least if you're willing to hotwire a power ring to do it. Also featuring part one of John Stewart war journal from writer, Philip Kennedy Johnson, and artist Montos. We will promptly forget about all that stuff that happened to Jon Stewart <laughs> not too long ago. I think maybe <laughs> we're supposed to yeah. not worry too much about there maybe being two different versions of John yeah. Stewart with two different versions of X green Lanterns doing two different versions of something.
0: Fine with me. That's the beauty of the Dawn of D.C. They're proving we can just forget about the crap. We're going to
2: have fun with the stuff you like yep yep and sign me up for more of that
0: yeah i i need a monthly green lantern that i can enjoy and i haven't had one for a while to be perfectly honest and i can say it's terrible but i will say i have skipped a lot of it so (laughs) it's nice to be excited about yeah and
2: as fun as the grant morrison one was i do kind of miss a green lantern book that's in i
0: loved it i loved it but i agree it's it didn't
2: yeah. Mix it up, mixing it up in the DC. Yes.
0: That's where I need my Hal Jordan.
2: The THN trade of the week
0: for next week goes to the complete irredeemable by Mark Wade, the trade paperback. It's from boom studios. Uh, you may have heard it's by Mark Wade. It's got art by Peter Krauss and various who were 50, 50 on. Here's your solicit. When the Plutonium, the world's greatest superhero, snaps and turns into the world's greatest villain, only his former teammates have a chance at stopping his rampage. But while on the run from the world's most powerful and angry being, will these former teammates discover his secrets in time? How did he come to this? And what happens to a world when its savior betrays it? The iconic team of writer Mark Wade, who worked on Kingdom Come and the Avengers, and just about everything else. And artist Peter Krause, who worked on We Only Kill Each Other, which is not We Only Find Them When They're Dead, but it's very close. Along with some of the most acclaimed creators in comics. Challenge... Nor ev- is
2: it something is killing the children, which
0: is a totally <laughs> different book. Challenge everything you think you know about superheroes by exploring the good, the bad, and the irredeemable inside of all of us. This comprehensive volume complete... This comprehensive volume collects Irredeemable 1 through 37, the Irredeemable Special number 1, and Incorruptible 25 and 26, alongside a new forward by Academy Award nominee Kemp Powers, who worked on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and an afterword by comics icon Grant Morrison. You may have heard of them. So, Irredeemable, coming to Netflix. If you haven't read it, you've heard us scream about it, for at least 12 years on this damn show, because it's been around for a long time. This is the last time we tell you, you have to read this comic. It is fantastic. I'm never saying it again. Okay? You've been warned. Go pick it up.
2: Now that you know our picks for the next new comic book day, do the right thing and add these to your poll list if you want to read along with us. And hit us up on our Discord in the new comics channel and let us know if they sucked. And until we hear otherwise, we're just gonna assume that all of our picks are winners.
0: Before we shut this poorly written show down, we wanted to give you a sneak peek at the extra content that you get access to when you support THN on Patreon. Ladies and gentlemen, we present the official THN comic historian, Professor Jason Sachs.
1: Hi. I'm Jason Sachs, and it's time for another episode Who the Hell is This Guy? With Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 premiering this weekend, there are a few questions on everybody's mind. And one of the questions asked the most is, who is Adam Warlock? Why should I care about him? Well, you should care about him, because he's God. Alleluia. 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 Or the Alleluia. Son of God. It's kind of confusing. One of Adam's finest superpowers is just they can't stay dead. He can't stay one person. But he can't stay without being a god of some sort. Dead for Adam is like getting your car stolen for you and me or something. You know, it's a minor inconvenience, but in the end, you have something nicer to get around in. And that way with Adam and Resurrections. Anyway, our hero was introduced by good old Stanley and Jack Kirby, his first comics fathers, in the pages of Fantastic Four, Numbers 66 and 67,
0: 1968. Oh, these gases will give me even greater power when I take over another planet, thanks to the foolish Fantastic Four.
1: As this super conspiracy group called the Enclave created the Golden Skinned Man, as a perfect human who could change the world. In that issue, the human emerges out of a very weird cocoon, destroys the enclave because they are nasty pieces of work, and then flies out into space only pausing to get a name, Him. Yeah, they called the golden dude, Him. After an appearance in Thor, Him was taken under the wing of his second comet's dad, Thomas, who gave Him an actual real name, first Warlock and then Adam Warlock, and set Adam Warlock in conflict with a being called the High Evolutionary, a powerful cosmic guy. Well, i guy because the a human, it's all very weird and confusing, and I don't want to explain all that stuff either. Who somehow creates a separate version of our Earth on the other side of the sun populated with mutated versions of animals who turn into people and the whole thing embodies some sort of Jesus Christ superstar version of religion. Adam gets crucified a couple times. I said something about him being son of God, right? During those struggles, Adam is granted the soul gem, which he plants right in the middle of his forehead. Ouch. Yeah, it's all very high concept and weird and very, very 1970s. But wouldn't you know it, the whole Mishigats gets even more high concept and weird. Or Warlock's third daddy, Jim Starlin, gets his hands on the gold skin too.
0: Jason Sachs is the author of the American Comic Book Chronicles. He's done several decades from the 70s all the way up to the 90s. They're wonderful books, check them out on Amazon. He also has a kick-ass YouTube channel called Classic Comics Cavalcade. Get over there and subscribe. He's a heady guy. That's why he is the official THN Comics Historian. And if you want to hear this whole segment, you can do so by supporting THN for as little as $1 a month over a Patreon. Please. It helps keep this show alive. And thank you, Jason, for everything you do for us. We love you,
2: buddy. Excelsior! Oh.
0: For THN 702 next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns and it's going to make us talk about back issue comics based on a theme. You may have heard that happen before. In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Recap Show and hit your feed on Mondays. We recap the news from the previous week and add our uh, fun little thoughts to it. Sometimes we barely even talk about the news story like we did with that whole uh, Tim Drake thing last week. I loved it though. <laughs> Wait, was Tim Drake even the news story? No. Not at all. (laughs) It was all about Damien. You can also join us for our THN cover to cover gang hang on Saturdays at 11 central. I'm serious. We need to talk about this Batman thing because now the more that I think about it, I go. Don't think it. Don't say anything. Oh, shit. You're right, Joe. (laughs) Check out our Discord for details on that. Joe Patrick, tell them what else they can do while at our Discord.
2: You want to see our picks for cover of the week? Argue about the best special effects in the NBC 1983 miniseries V? Or maybe find out more about binding your own comics? You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments. Or you can call the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the show you know what else lives on our discord the question of the damn week wow i'm worked up you were worked up earlier yeah. now i'm worked yeah, up. yeah you are for the show to end i'm, no, I'm, just just I'm coming down for the show to end i am coming I'm away. Getting down. Worked <laughs> this week's question is courtesy of the diseased mind of our dear friend john literal call your shot what do you think will or should be the last mcu movie maybe the genre dies maybe movies are replaced by hollow entertainment Maybe the Marvel name fades into obscurity or maybe they reboot for the fourth or fifth time and it just doesn't take. Or maybe the trademarks finally expire. Whatever. Just give us your best pitch. I can't wait
0: for Captain America to go the way of Winnie the Pooh. Get all those horror movies.
2: (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Cap Wolf. The story that's there. Give it to me. Yeah. Uh, Please keep your question of the week suggestions. Come we need them as we have established Many times during this episode, we are not that creative, and we don't write our own jokes. If you're new to the show,
0: and God ah, damn it, insert joke here. God damn it! I assure you, it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at Two Headed Nerd. I swear to God, I'm going to kill these guys. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron Joe Del Ponte. If you like what you hear every week, like Joe certainly does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com
2: backslash two-headed nerd. I just hope Joe hasn't been paying for the, you know, the witty (laughs) panther. Sorry, Jeff.
0: Our secret has been been exposed.
2: (laughs) Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our brothers and sisters in the Writers Guild of America who are now on strike due to the unfair treatment and payment they are receiving at the hands of Hollywood. Please support your local union. Support your fellow creatives. And if you're just a fan and you're not a creative uh, person, Solidarity, man. And support the people that create the things that we love. Think about this for a minute.
0: The last time this happened, we got a golden age of reality TV that gave us The Apprentice and President Trump. Just saying, folks. Okay? Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might show up to your house with a giant inflatable rat and a bunch of picketing employees. This is the Two-Headed Nerd.
1: Signing off.